If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I am here with Ed the Protestant. Here I am. It has been a while since Ed the Protestant has graced this channel. Well, what with holidays and and this and that. We were sick and we, I think we were like three or four times we're going to record. And And then then I was sick and then you were sick. And then I was sick. And then it was like snowing and we're like old and and wimpy and we didn't (laughs) want to go out into the blizzard to record. But we did hang out a lot during the holidays. Which was great. Which is fun and and stuff. And we need to go to a movie. There's a couple movies we need to go see. But we, yeah, we just like to sit down and record. We just didn't do it. So anyway, we are back and Ed has questions as he always does. Oh, I got questions. Yes, yes. So why don't you unleash your questions? Let's talk about pastors and priests. Mm. In high school, I actually wanted to be a pastor. It was either that or a pilot. And then when I found out what you had to do to be a pilot, then I wasn't so sure I wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> and then when I, the more I watched pastors, I thought, oh, I don't know. And that looks, <laughs> that looks hard. So, and, and in fact, you were my pastor for several yeah. years. Yeah. So I know pastors. I know about pastors. I've worked in the church. So I've. You sat under my authority. I did. My authority. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly right. And the stories we could tell. And the stories we could tell. And so I've worked with pastors and I've seen this from the inside and up close and everything. In the Protestant church, or any of them, the pastor is the big dog. The pastor like is that. the thing. Okay. I mean, his, his personality defines the church. And as Ten Cup says, let the big dog eat. Right. Anyway. His, around here anyway. Yeah. In our little corner of the world, the pastor's name is on the sign. Right. Out front. That's what their church, that's their personality. That's who, that defines them. And in the Protestant world, as I have learned from you, the sermon is king. That's mm-hmm. a difference I didn't think about until a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so the pastor had better be good. Yeah, I, I think you're identifying a, a real key shift that took place. Let's just stay within Protestantism for a while. Between coming out of the Reformation, the original Protestant churches were what are called now the confessional Protestant churches. These are the traditional. So the, the Reformed churches, the Presbyterian churches, the original Lutheran churches, right. these kinds of things, their history goes back 500 years. And the reason they call them confessional is the emphasis was around their doctrines. Right. And their doctrines right. were anti-Catholic or I mean Protestant, right? right? So for example, for myself as a Calvinist reformed person, we had doctrines that defined us and a denomination that was a reformed denomination that defined us. And the personality of the individual pastor was not primary because if you went to a Presbyterian Church of America or a Lutheran Church Wisconsin Synod, or you went to a Christian Reformed Church or whatever it was, it was defined by that denominational doctrine right. and structure and all that. And then pastors like myself, when I 
was in seminary or first got out of seminary, we would rotate every five, six years and get assigned or move to a different church. And the old joke was, you talked about it being on the sign. The old joke I remember in the Christian Reformed Church was always that the sign out front on the street would have the the pastor's name and the times of the Sunday services. And the times of the Sunday services were painted on the sign, All right. but the pastor's name was a little plaque with screws. <laughs> right. so, so you would always remember what can change here right. and what cannot. Well, still, still though, I grew up in a town with, with loaded with these, yeah. not the one we're living in now. And they still, they would say, well, I, I heard this all my life, okay, from my Christian Reformed friends or Reformed friends. Well, we got a new pastor, and I'm not wild about him. We're thinking about— oh, Okay, so let's—because what I said is I think there's, there was a shift in Protestantism. So if you go back to those old confessional Protestant mainline denominations right. coming out of Catholicism, the emphasis was—the the thing that unified them was their denominational doctrines and affiliation. Right. So people would think of themselves as— I'm Presbyterian or I'm Lutheran or I'm Methodist or I'm Southern Baptist or I'm Christian Reformed or whatever it was. And then we have Pastor Bob. But a shift happened and it happened in the last half of the 20th century. And that is, is that those churches became less and less defined by their doctrines. And people thought of them less and less as doctrinally defined. And they began to gravitate around the personalities of the current pastor. And I think this is part of a a bigger trend that we saw in American religion, which was a shift away from doctrinal Christianity, a Christianity defined by teachings and doctrines and these things toward a personality-driven Christianity. And this would be probably a whole nother episode. Maybe it needs to be a whole nother episode about how that happened, right? right? A lot of things contributed sort of culturally to that, where people cared less and less about what the church taught. And more right. about who the teacher was. Mm-hmm. And their, their, their reason for going to the church was less and less, well, our church teaches right. this or this about superlapsarianism or whatever, right. but we really, really love Pastor Ricky. Right. And people began to organize themselves around that, even within those mainline churches. Right. But then you look at the non-denominational church world, or, and we'll get into this maybe in this episode, the Pentecostal sure. world, where everything became defined by the personality of the senior pastor or lead pastor. And really what the church was, the congregation was, was a sort of loose affiliation of like-minded people organized under a personality. Right. And I want to say, I I can't, I don't know what I can say on here. I can say whatever I want because it's my doctrine. But it's sort of like doctrine be damned. We don't really care about the fine points of doctrine or theology. We just really love Pastor Ricky. Right. Or in the Pentecostal world, which I know you know, and I spent a lot of time doing some consulting and stuff with Pentecostal churches. It was, well, the churches created or formed or defined by Pastor Ricky's anointing. Yeah. And sometimes it's super weird, like, well, yeah. Pastor Ricky Sr., his father had the anointing, right? and then at a certain point, dad got old and he decided to hand off his mantle and his anointing to Ricky Jr., who now has the anointing, right? and the whole church, like, and you go, we don't really pay attention to fine points of theology or sacraments right. or anything like that. We're just a group of people that are like right. following Jesus under this guy. 
Right. And so I think that that's where we are now. Yep. And I think certainly that's been exacerbated even in recent years with technology. Remember back in the old days with church, you would uh, have the sermons and they record them on like a cassette tape. And then yeah. like you could take the cassette tapes to the shut-ins. Right. And then if you were really a big deal, you would be on the local radio. Right. And if you're really a big deal, you'd get a book deal. Right. And then now, of course, then you're streaming on YouTube or podcasting or whatever. And so more and more and more local churches are defined by the personality yep. of this guy. Is he a good talker? Is he right. magnetic? Is he charismatic? Is he enthusiastic? And you sort of live and die by that because once this guy's not the guy anymore, right. everyone's going to go somewhere else to find the new hot guy. Right. And we, you and I can even look at this town and see churches around here sure. that like 15 years ago, this was like the hot church in town because right. pastor so-and-so was there right. and then pastor so-and-so isn't there anymore. And so now everybody's flocking to this other church and it's crazy. And we could talk about churches in the town where we live here, where people were flocking across denominations with totally different doctrines and theology. Right. So they were over here at this quasi Presbyterian church because pastor Dave was over there right. and then pastor Dave's not there anymore. So now they're going over here where pastor Bob is and it's a Wesleyan church. You go, it's completely like they don't be even believe any of the same things but you go well we don't really care about what the church believes we're just here for pastor bob because pastor bob is great and then pastor bob leaves right right and now there's pastor steve or pastor josh right he's over at this other like non-denominational church which is a completely different set of beliefs but who cares what the, the beliefs of the doctrines are because nobody reads that that's on some doctrinal statement in a filing cabinet right we're just flooding over there because we love pastor josh and we just right. love listening to his messages which reinforces my growing thesis, my growing feeling that every Protestant is essentially their own church. Mm -hmm. And it, it was the same thing in the music. I made my living by, yeah. by they said, you make music, you make sure this is music that will bring people in. Yeah. That was, was the whole thing. So I, I don't like, I, I, I'm, uh, well, I'm done with it. I remember back in the late 90s and in the 2000s and the 2010s, when I was working in church growth consulting and all this kind of stuff, we had all these fancy names for all this stuff. For a while, it was the seeker model and then the attractional model. And the idea is, is that you, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, that you make it cool, you make it attractive, you have right. the Starbucks in the lobby and the cool band and the this and the that and, and, the, and the pastor. Like, I remember this is like circa 2006, seven, eight, nine, like in that kind of era. And I was traveling all around the country, working with all these churches and right. publishing and, and consulting and stuff. And, and even across different denominations. And there was this kind of outfit, like, like, I don't know, like a uniform that cool pastors wore. Right. Yeah. So it was like skinny, like the cool pastors, yeah. they would have like skinny black jeans, black glasses. Yeah, yeah, some of the glasses, but they always have like the untucked shirt. Yep. They would have like the long sleeve untucked fitted, but then maybe they would have with it like a, what do you got? Like a graphic tee right. with some kind of a cool graphic right. tee and then maybe like the untucked shirt wide open and then like so the, the sleeve rolled halfway up. Show a little, show a little bit of the tattoo. Yeah. And then, and then they had like their hair all gelled. Yeah. Right. And they had a certain kind of like gel look to their hair. And I would go to, I don't care if it was an Assemblies of God church. I don't care if it was a non-denominational church. I don't care if it was like a reformed church. I don't care if it was what, I mean, I swear, everyone I went to, the dude, if you were going to be the pastor of a hot, cool church, would all wear this stuff. And right. I remember back then, we I'd go to all these church growth conventions and stuff yep. like that. 
And, we, and it was like, you would walk through the church growth convention and you're like, it's like, I don't know. It's like a an uniform. El- yeah. It's like yeah. an Elvis convention or something where everybody's dressed up like Elvis only. It, it was like this hipster. It was right. like the hipster pastor era. And everybody yeah. had to, and then I started to go like, I got to fit into this. So I'm like, I found myself like going to the store, like, well, how do I get like hipster pastor clothes? And right. I'm going to like the lady who cuts my hair and I'm like, can I like grow it out and put gel in it? And like, and I looked really stupid and everything else, but I was really trying to, cause that was clearly like what you had to do to be cool right. to draw people to your church and people, if they came and you weren't a cool pastor. Right. No well, the, 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 the subtext was that then that it was authentic. It made you authentic. So you're yeah. real. Because like his guy's real. real. Like yeah. how real he is. Like, look, uh, I'm so authentic that I'm dressed like every other guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, you're right. I mean, and now it's become so defined by that. And I mean, it's a little bit ironic. Like if you look at, like, say this podcast or podcasting or YouTube channels or all the different ways people now build an audience, we have people that for reasons unbeknownst to me listen to this podcast listen right. to me listen they love ed the protestant they all write in like oh, we love ed the protestant right so we build this audience as a podcast and for a lot of churches today evangelical churches non-denominational churches whatever they're basically a guy building an audience yeah yeah like he's just got a podcast or a youtube channel it just happens to be he's got this building and a lot of them now he's got multiple buildings and he's streamed and everything else. So it really does become a cult of personality. And then any kind of like theology or doctrine or anything else is all secondary to this guy's personality. And this guy then has the power to define the doctrine and shape yes. the theology. So you go, well, we're sitting under Pastor Josh, sitting under his authority. And so, right. so Pastor Josh says, well, I've just been like, just like, 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 like going deep in the scriptures here. And I, right. I really think like this is, I've been trying to examine well, how we should feel about same-sex marriage or how we should feel about yeah. baptizing infants or how we should feel about whatever. And then like, and people are like, oh, Pastor Josh is like examined the scriptures and he's like really like right. done a deep dive with the Lord and figured it out. And so now he's going to tell us what we believe. And there's like no context, no continuity, no connection to the historic and, church, nothing. And it's a real, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a real temptation for those pastors because nobody is, nobody's correcting them. There's no body to correct them. There's nobody telling them they shouldn't. And the power, the power can be very seductive. So here's how they're measured, how they're judged, how they're evaluated by results. Right. So the question is, how do you know that Pastor Josh's theology is right? Pastor Josh's theology, nobody puts it that way. No one says he's got correct doctrine. What they right. say is his, that Pastor Josh's teaching yeah. is really fruitful. Right. Right. And his teaching is just really, really fruitful or really, which means that a lot of people come. I was going to say, as measured by butts and seats. Yeah, by, by, measured, measured by butts and seats. So if Pastor Josh has the gelled hair and the graphic tee and the whole, and the skinny jeans and the whole bit, and he's just really like, like bringing it, and the place is just full every week, more and more and more and more people. And like, like they're just busting out the doors, right? You go, my gosh, he's, Pastor Josh is just like anointed, man. His theology, and what it does is it validates his theology because whatever he's teaching is clearly, and people listen. And, and then there's a loop to this because I worked in Christian publishing. Then because he's got a lot of people coming and he's got a lot of people on his social media feed and he's got a lot of people listening to his podcast, whatever, Pastor Josh gets a book deal. 
Oh, and that sure. validates him. Yeah. So now Zondervan yeah. or Nelson or whoever has given him a book deal and he's got a book deal and he's in the bookstores and then he's doing a book tour and they go, Pastor Josh's theology, clearly. I mean, they don't even put it that way. They go, just Pastor Josh's teaching is so powerful. Right. Look at this powerful teaching. Look at all the people that are flocking to it. And, and we know that it's right because a publisher has basically endorsed yeah. it. Right. And the public, and that's, that's a crazy loop because the publisher endorses it because there's a lot of people <laughs> right. going who will buy the right. book, but the people who are, <clears throat> who are then going are right. going, I'm going because he has a book. But, right. So it's, a, it's right. It's a, right. like a, a cycle, a vicious cycle. And, and so all of this becomes disconnected from anything sacramental, doctrinal, sacred. It just becomes basically, I hate to say a business, but it just basically becomes a prosperity business where you start saying, if you can attract a large number of people and sort of vaguely stay more or less between the lines and the highway, that you're vaguely kind of Christian enough and don't go veer off too far off the the highway and you can pack them in, notions of like what denomination or doctrine or this or that, or even it doesn't even matter what pastor Josh's uh, education is. Did he go to seminary? Does he know Hebrew? Does he know Greek? Who cares? Right. His teaching is powerful and look how it's impacting so many people. I'm glad we're talking about this because I, my sense is that dissatisfaction with this is widespread. I was working with a guy I don't normally work with and we were bored. The store was empty and no customers. And I asked him about it and we started talking about church. And he said, yeah, once my wife and I, once COVID came around and we all, we stopped going for a while. He said, no, I just have gotten out of the habit and I'm not very motivated. And I just had, I saw some people I haven't seen in years last Saturday night. And we were talking about all of this and woman said, well, I was thinking about maybe going to an Episcopal church or or a Lutheran church because it's more liturgical and that seems good to me. And I thought, well, I got about six problems with saying that, but the last thing on her mind was theology. And that's there's got to be big differences between those if you really, or 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 do you just not care? Well, you know. because I like the smells and bells. Right. Right. So either I like the rock and roll guitar or right. I like the country western church or I like the smells and bells church where you're going to like candles and, right. and and ring bells and stuff like that. And and so it really does come down to what we've talked about before, which is that you be kind of become your own pope. Like every man decides in his own eyes. Right. We, we've talked about this before. There's that line in the book of Judges over and over again in the Old Testament that in those days when there was no king in Israel yeah. and every, each, yeah. each man did what was right in his own eyes. Right. And also, we're mindful of some of the warnings in the New Testament, like in those days, people will gather teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Right. So, it's become a popularity thing, but you're right. I think a lot of people are burning out on it. And I think that's in the church, and maybe I hope it's in our society more generally, that people are starting to become sick of the media cycle and people feel... Um, pandered to and they're starting to see through that and there's i think a real desire for some authenticity and maybe you know? if they don't think it they're feeling it they feel it yeah, they, they they feel it maybe yeah they just feel it that they just want authenticity and, right. and and reality and the other thing is that these guys all blow up and i mean so like when i worked in the publishing world i mean i could really name some huge names sure here that were major, major, major league Christian authors yep. that 
I had lots and lots of books and lots of conference appearances and radio shows and whatever. And then one by one, they sort of self-destructed for a variety of reasons, right? They doctrinally self-destructed. They got, their doctrines got weird or their theology got weird and they they blew up that way. Or they got involved in some scandal, sexual scandal, financial scandal. And, And then when they blow up, everybody's just deflated and ruined because everyone put their hope in that guy. Right. Right. Like that was the reason they were there. Right. That was the rosin to of the church was right. to sit under pastor Josh's powerful anointed teaching. Right. And then pastor Josh turns out to, I don't know, he's doing sexual things or he's stealing money or he's turns out to be a wacky or whatever it is that it all kind of goes sideways and then everyone's crushed and ruined. And if you've been in the evangelical world for the last 20, 30, 40 years, if you've grown up in that, you've been through this cycle how many times, whether it's with a big national figure or just your local guy who blew up and then like all that he's done. And now we all got to go somewhere else until that guy blows up and self-destructs. And, and I think a lot of people are burnt out on it. And, and I, I meet a lot of people coming to Catholicism precisely because they're sick of all of that yeah well it's me yeah that was me coming in and before we i, I so i want to talk about priests yeah. and the differences but before we do i'll well, just let's stay on this that maybe needs to be a separate episode <laughs> okay. well I'll, this is pretty I'll, just, good, yeah. I'll throw this out there you and i could probably do two episodes worth of stories oh yeah and not and not not telling tales and funny we should do that funny stuff weird stuff that happened or or things that happened that disillusioned us we could do that and just not name names right or like we have like pseudonyms right. or something not just because like it would be funny or sad or tragic or tell the stories but i mean just to illustrate some of the things that we've seen because you and i have both been all around that world and i don't want to just take hey look here's an episode where for 30 minutes ed and i tell like crazy church scandal stories right but i think there's so many things just to illustrate all the ways that that things can go sideways and things that people need to be aware of in churches. That's what I'm thinking is, is like we could tell the, I could tell the story of the time we decided to base an entire service around the Gilligan's Island TV show. <laughs> and it really went south. Yeah. It was, a, it was a horrifying debacle. It's, it's, I can laugh about it now, but it was, it was pretty bad. And, and those things served to highlight the horrible approach that that was. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got some cringe stories. Some of them that I observed and maybe a couple that I participated in a couple that I was at at fault for. Because when I came out in the church growth movement, it was like, well, we were encouraged to try all of this crazy stuff. Right. And there were some crazy things that we did. So, yeah, but let's let's stay on that. So, so pastors and... Yeah, I, pastors you, and priests. You said that it, it really is a horrible thing when a, a church is built around a personality of a guy, and then he not just leaves. I think everybody expects that nobody's going to do that forever. Maybe he ages out or something. But people can feel abandoned when this guy takes. I remember when I was growing up in the Baptist church, there was a particular pastor during much of my formative years, like maybe junior high and high school who I really looked up to. And I thought, man, this is like family here in our little Baptist church. And then he left and took another job. And I thought, well, what is this, just a job? Yeah. It, it, that was hard for me. And then if you watch somebody fall by by having an affair or robbing the church blind or whatever, whatever happens, that's the people and leave and don't come back. Well, the other one that, that I don't know where we're going with this episode, but the other one that is really hard is just, 
political uh, fights in the church. Yep. And I don't necessarily mean like civil Republican Democrat politics, but I mean political fights in the church between factions. Right. And you and I have both been involved in those yep. where there's conflict between staff people or board members or different factions or cliques in the church for control yep. or power. And then the pastor gets, sometimes he wins those and he crushes his enemies and drinks from their skulls by firing right. everybody and getting rid of them. And sometimes the senior pastor gets ousted. And then everybody in the church just feels crushed because once again, their allegiance became around not right. sacraments, not the apostolic character of the church. Like on the Catholic church, our priest, God forbid, I love my priest and we right. have a really good relationship with my pastor. I work for him and I, you know, right. good relation, great relationship with him. But I mean, Lord forbid something should happen to him. Right. The Catholic church is still the Catholic right. church. It still has the apostolic character. It still has the, it, it still stands in line with the apostles, still part of the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It still has the doctrine of the Catholic church. It still has this, it still has that, still it has the sacraments. So I, I would be sad right. if my pastor wasn't there anymore, right. but it wouldn't change my allegiance to the church. But in that evangelical world where there are none of those underpinnings, none of those foundations. Right. It's simply a cult of personality. Yep. That's devastating. Yeah. I worried about it a little bit when I was, when I was doing, when I was the big music guy, I didn't like getting up there and saying, Hey, look at me. I always felt like, well, I don't want, I would bury myself in the band a little bit. I didn't want it to be the Ed show on stage. And I've seen plenty of that. And I can even tell a story or two about guys who let it go to their head and ruin their lives do, doing music. Yeah. We could spend the next hour just talking about all the kinds of crazy things that we've seen in terms of pastors and staffs and what we built. The churches were auditoriums. And I mean, right. we would have half million, mil, million dollars upwards of theatrical lights. Right. So yeah. if it's a stage, it's yeah. just like you go to a big concert hall, theater, or whatever, there's all these moving lights and, and lights. And so you come out there and to play the music or to come out and give the message, you can't see the people because if you've ever been on stage lights, you can't see sure. anything. It's just blackness up there. So you're up there performing. Right. And, and I would do that. I would go up there with my wireless mic and right. stand, walk around and, and perform. Yeah. And I used to, I was just to say that things got really weird when you were on the bright side of the lights as a pastor, yeah. because you weren't anchored in anything. Now I tried to anchor myself. I tried to go back to my office and pray and read scriptures and right. try to have integrity in what I was saying and this and that. But at the end of the day, really, it was a performance. Right. It was creating a performance and then working with the team, the creative team around me right. to have the right music and the right videos and the right this and the right that and to have the fog machine or the pyrotechnics come on at the right time to create right. the right show with the hope that those people that I couldn't see because of the bright right. auditorium lights in my eyes, that somehow the room would be packed and right. that the, the offertory would be big. And then next week it would be, there'd be more people than there were next week. And if so, then I was doing well right. and um, I, my teaching was powerful. Well, the, and no, if I came out there and if I came out there and I taught things that made the room shrink, right. then my teaching was questionable. Right. And so what happens is on the bright side of the lights, it gets super weird because you're no longer functioning as 
when we get into the talking about what a Catholic priest is, I'm no longer functioning, never was a Catholic priest, but I'm not functioning in this kind of priestly role or this ministerial role anymore. I'm a performer right. in a religious organization or something. Right. And uh, it all becomes un anchored or unmoored from anything. And I think, you know, what I want to say, at least in this episode, from the Catholic standpoint, is the affiliation is with the church, with right. a capital C. Yep. And the church's apostolic character, the church's character as the body of Christ and the transmitter of God's word, not only the written word, right? But right. the sacramental word and the sacraments and those things. And that, that you're building the church around that and people's affiliation or loyalty is built around that rather than right. you're the CEO and chief performer in this, whatever it is. Now, my understanding of this is what happens in a Catholic church, the mass specifically is already preordained. I mean, there's a script. You're not even picking scripture passages. No. For the most part. So, so maybe the priest will give a homily, but that's not very long. No, that's not you know, much of it. 10, 10 minutes, minutes or eight, something. Eight, right. 10 minutes a homily, but, but everything else in it is scripted, right? I mean, you have the lectionary, which defines the readings. You have right. the Roman Missal that defines the rubrics of the mass. In fact, if you open a Roman Missal, the one that the priest looks at, the words are either in black or red. Right. And the thing is, is you say the black and do the red. So right. it'll say, here's the word the priest says right. this. And then the, the red would be like, lift the cup or right. do this. or And so they're executing the mass. That That's, I find that very comforting because that way, even if the, I go to a church and then the priest is boring, mm -hmm. that's only eight minutes. Yeah. And, and the thing is that I didn't go there for that anyway. If I wanted teaching, I can find it lots of ways, but I'm going there to encounter God. I was traveling recently and I went to mass. I got my phone out and like, where's the nearest Catholic church? Whatever. Right. So I go to mass there and never been in this church before, never been in this place before. And where I've gotten to in the point in my life is I feel at home. I feel so comfortable walking into a Catholic church and being in a Catholic mass, even in a, in a location I've never been to with a priest who's celebrating the mass that I don't know. Right. There's a sense in that, in which that's home, whether I'm whatever country I'm in, whatever state right. I'm in. And that sort of universal character that I know that this is the mass and it's being celebrated exactly this way all around the world today from yes. these readings, that that's where I belong. I, I belong connected to the church. And father so-and-so might be a winning personality or might be a grumpy old man or he might be anything in between and he might have a interesting homily and he might be kind of boring and he might be whatever and he might be gregarious and chatty afterwards when he's shaking hands or he might kind of right. skedaddle back to the rectory. I don't know, but that's not why I'm there. And being liberated from the cult of personality. Yeah. It was just huge for me. As, as a recovering Protestant, which is what I am. We need to get that 
that T-shirt. The T-shirt going. So we, yeah. we, I had somebody the other day ask if we were going to have merch for the right. podcast. And I, so I was thinking like, should we get like some mugs or something? And right. then somebody said, oh no, I want, and somebody said, I want like nice polo shirts. I'm like, I don't But well, one of the things we've talked about is getting an Ed the Protestant plush toy. Which I don't get, but okay. Okay. Yeah. But then the other one is you have a T-shirt idea. Yeah. And it the, is. The recovering Protestant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And the other one was the, uh, was the little white, what would Ed do bracelet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I was going to say is that if you, I know that this guy is what he's doing, the priest, what he's doing at, and this, well, I was going to say that I'm a recovering Protestant and I would have joined the Catholic church already, but that's not the way my life is going right now. And there's just, I just can't, but he's not making this up or deciding any of it. He's being told what to do and he's, he's been vetted. Well, the other thing too is that in a very real sense, his personality has been subsumed. So, you know, the Protestant, the contemporary evangelical, why is he dressed in robes? Is he trying to be all fancy and make himself a big deal? You go, no, actually dressing in the vestments actually subsumes his personality. Right. Right. So, right. So the, the various vestments that they put on have different meaning. Right. Right. Which we don't have to get into now, but he puts those things on, and, and in a sense, his personality is being subsumed into the role of the priest celebrating the Mass, which is the role of Christ celebrating the Mass with us. He's acting in persona Christi, in the person right. of Christ. So, whether it's Father Bill or Father Frank or Father Pedro or right. whatever is irrelevant. And the fact that he puts all that, the vestments on and he comes in and he reads this and that is what I love about that is that his personality is exactly being not suppressed, but I guess subsumed, it's cloaked, cloaked, yeah. subsumed. Yeah. He's, he's putting on the role or right. putting on that, that priestly role and acting in that priestly role. And while he's up there, he's not father pedro or father bill he's the priesthood of jesus christ celebrating the mass with us well this is such a good conversation but i think we've gone quite a while now i think we've gone so Uh, shall we we pick it up again let's pick it up because i think we're going to talk about the particular differences between a catholic priest that's what i want to ask about is so let's stop the recorder and then we'll start up again and that'll be the second episode awesome okay 